Today, I want to do a few things, but I want to uh, just tell you a little bit about our story that what we've been going through um, with our oldest son, Cruz. I thought this was going to be easy to talk about. So, and I want to talk about how, gosh, how in the midst of this, God's word to us in the truth of Christianity has brought us comfort and hope in the midst of it all. And I've been waiting to talk about it because we haven't really had much answers about what's going on with him. And I think we got about as much at this point as we're going to have. So, so about mid-March, um, he just wasn't acting himself anymore. Um, our boy that would, like, we would ask him a question and he would give this great answer. And we'd be like, how did you know that? He'd be like, oh, I was just using my context clues. And we're like, wow, how do you know to say that? Um, and, and then it turned into, like, we would just ask him a simple question, and he just had a hard time processing it. And um, he just became terrified of things. And, <sighs> just wasn't being himself. And so, we're like, man, what's going on? Maybe we've got this third, we got a daughter now. Maybe he's just like, I don't know what to do about this daughter here, so I'm just going to kind of not be myself. And so we thought maybe that's what was going on. And, um, and then one day, um, he was at school, and there was a field day, and he was just really pale. And so we're like, okay, what, what's going on? So we're like, we're just going to take him to the doctor. So we get to the doctor. He throws up there at the doctor, and then we go in, and the doctor's like, okay, let me see what's going on. We're like, he's just not been being himself. And um, he checks his pupils, and he's got one pupil bigger than another. And he's like, I need you guys to go to the ER right now. Um, to see what's going on. So we're like, why? And he's like, well, we just want to make sure that there's not a tumor there. So we go. And turns out there's no tumor. But this kind of started our process of figuring out, okay, what is going on with him? So um, that starts our process. And um, there's test after test, EEGs to make sure he's not having seizures, um, and MRIs, CAT scans, ultrasounds to rule out a tumor even, tumor even further. Um, and all this was ruled out, spinal taps, blood work, um, only to really get no answer, except what the doctors can tell us is essentially what it looks like is, ha is happening is his immune system is attacking his brain. So, so all this is happening. We finally found out some answers. Essentially, what we think has happened is somehow he got sick, probably potentially walking pneumonia, um, which is no big deal, except for some reason it triggered his immune system um, to start like just attacking his brain. So, um, we've gotten like three different potentially diagnoses of what's going on, um, but that's essentially what's happening is his immune system. So, um, what we did is we really hit this hard over the last two weeks. We've been in the hospital um, last week and this week, and he did this thing called an IVIG, which essentially they're taking um, the immunoglobulins, whichever that, whatever that is, and they're taking them from thousands of different people and they're just running it through him and into his, into his blood system. So 
Um, we're seeing some improvements. We've been seeing improvements for about a month now. It started off as antibiotics, but it's kind of like this big mystery. Like we asked his pediatrician, like, have you ever seen this before? And he said, I might have seen this one time in the last 20 years. So this is very rare what's happening to him. So we're just trying to figure out, but I'm, te I'm telling you all this for a few reasons. One, so that you can pray for him, but two, so that you know what's going on because we're just kind of getting our butts kicked right now. Um, and then three, um, to it, it just so happens that we're, at, we're arriving today at the core of this message of Christianity. Um, and it's a message that absolutely changes everything. And we've clung to it in the midst of all of this. And it's given us comfort and it's given us hope in the midst of it all. Um, and, and it explains in a way in a very real way, what is wrong with the world and what's going on with Cruz. Um, so let me read it to you. So John 19, verses 20 through 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. We looked at that last week. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. Thank you. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Um, actually, I think I've got a water somewhere if anybody sees that. Or I don't bring me your water. I don't want your water. I think there's one. I think it's back there. Um, yes, thank you. That'd be awesome. Um, okay, so I read that. So you say, okay, what does that have to do? How does that have anything to do with bringing you comfort and hope in the midst of everything that's going on? And I would say to you, here's what it has to do with. Thanks, Dane. Everything. What I just read has everything to do with bringing comfort and hope and just knowing that everything's going to be okay. So here's where we're going with this. Four points. One, sin sucks. Two, we can't fix the problem. Three, Jesus does. Four, so now, it's, now let's go live. Okay, so the first one, sin sucks. In the midst of this process with Cruz, I have found myself hating sin. And the reason is, more than ever before, and the reason is because as the doctors are trying to figure out at the core of what's going on with him, I know that there's a deeper cause for all of this. I know there's a deeper core for why the things are the way that they are, why this is happening to Cruz, and the answer is sin. And I'm not talking about his sin. I'm not talking about my sin or my wife's sin. I'm talking about sin in general, sin that has come into the world, sin that is wreaking havoc in our world. See, here's what happened. As soon as sin enters the world... It's like a foreign object, like a virus, like a bacteria that starts wreaking havoc in the body of this world, making this whole ecosystem of this world function wrong and unhealthy. And sometimes you can see like the physical results of sin, maybe like an addiction, like you, there's an addiction, you have this addiction, and then it starts physically like it destroying your body. But usually sin doesn't show itself physically as far as specific sin goes, but sin in general, listen, sin in general is why the world is the way that it is, and it has a direct physical impact on us right now. Sin is why Cruz is going through what he's going through right now. So because of that, I hate sin. 
more than I ever have before, and I find myself sinning less and less and less because I know that sin is the cause of all of this. And, okay, so Jesus is up on the cross, and he's not up on the cross because he has been defeated. He's up on the cross because he is defeating the power of sin and death that is wreaking havoc in our world. Sin that leads to physical, spiritual, emotional, social, and cultural dysfunction and decay that ultimately ends up showing itself and playing out in death. Spiritual death, physical death, emotional death, social death, cultural death. When sin entered the world, peace turned to anxiety. Feeling safe turned into fear. Joy turned to sadness. Satisfaction turned into longing. And knowing that we have dignity and worth turned into secure insecurity and self-hatred. And friendships and brotherly love turned into murder. Like sin enters the world and then Cain kills his brother Abel. Any dysfunction in friendships is a result of sin. And healthy bodies turned into decaying bodies when sin came into the world. And sin has left us to the point now to where we question God, we doubt him, we wonder where in the world is he? We've got this great separation from him and we're sitting here like, God, I just need some proof for, for, of you. All of the reasons that we are struggling with all of those things are because of sin. And the more sin gets out of control, the more chaos it brings, more and more. God created the world and he brought order into the chaos and sin comes in, and then order begins to become more and more chaotic. And everything we are doing as people, like humanity, is fighting against sin. It's, sin is causing breakdown spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially, culturally, and even jobs. Like jobs are created in a way to fight against sin. So with everything inside of us, we should be hating sin because of what it has done to us and to our world. And you say, okay, well, David, I try to be a little bit more positive than that. And I get it. Like, I've been accused of being a positive person most of my life. But I want to tell you that when suffering comes, when you look at the world the way that it is, positivity is not always going to be what you need to get through it all. It's not going to help you understand what's happening to you and the people around you. We can think positive all we want, but sometimes positivity will cause us to ignore the root of the problem. That doesn't mean we don't have hope. And that doesn't mean we don't think positive about what God is doing, but we've got to take a realistic look at our situation. Sin is the cause of suffering, pain, tears. So we should hate it more than anything else. And once we realize, guys, once we realize sin is the cause of the problem, here's what happens. We actually find a real hope to hold on to. And as the world is crumbling around us, we stand upon a foundation that will not move in Christ. You know the reason why we don't hate sin? It's because we actually enjoy it. We like it. 
We hate it and we like it at the same time. And the chaos of what sin has done to our hearts has caused us to be very cloudy about sin and to to go for it, to just run into it while it is probably the worst thing for us. I recently heard someone describe sin as this slow self-suicide because sin is causing us to not become who we're made to be. There's this version of you that you are made to be, and every time we sin, we're getting further and further and further away from that. So we're becoming less and less and less of who we're made to be. So it's this slow self-suicide that we are doing to ourselves. And once we do, here's what happens. Here's what research shows. Once you do this one specific sin, let's say there's a sin you've never done, and you do that sin. What research is showing is we've essentially opened up the floodgates and we're going to return back to that sin. We're more likely to turn back to that sin. And as we go back to that sin, we're going to be more likely to go back to it again and again and again. And then the next thing you know, we're just stuck. And as soon as you let the virus in, it spreads and you're hurting yourself without realizing it. And it starts wreaking havoc on your soul. So what do we do? We fight sin. But the problem is, as we're fighting sin, the bigger problem becomes we can't win. And in fact, by us fighting the sin, we're actually making the problem worse. Now, I need to tell you what I mean by that, but watch. So the same way Cruz's body right now, His body is fighting an infection, but what it has done, it's created a bigger problem because his immune system now is doing something that's making things worse. It's creating a bigger problem. And so the attempt to fix the problem, our attempt to fix this problem of sin on our own, here's what it does. It's like a spiritual autoimmune disease that actually makes the problem worse. So I'm gonna explain what I mean. The whole mission of Christ coming into the world The whole reason he is here is to deal with the problem of sin and its effects and death. And the way he does that is by dying. The whole reason that Christ came is to die. That is his very mission. And by the way, if we think we could fix this problem of sin and death on our own, then it makes no sense. If we could do it, it makes no sense for Jesus to have come and done what he's done. And even if you're skeptical of Christianity, just for a second, think about this. There's a part of you that really wants this to be true. There's a part of you that says, I I want it to be true that Christ has come and he is going to be fixing the world. Like, I want that to be true. And all I would say is that could very well be Christ calling you to himself. Listen for him. He might be calling you to himself right now through that. Okay, so there's this great problem, and we can't fix it, but we try and we try and we try, and by doing that, we make it worse. So I want to just show you how this plays out. So the the world, we, we look at the problem, the effects of sin, we see the problem, and we say, okay, we're going to create a way to fix this. Okay, so what we do is, is we create religions, and we create these self help strategies that are great efforts to try to fix the problems that sin is causing. And it's an honorable thing to do. And that's why we say, oh, you know, 
religions have to be good because they're all working to try to fix the problem. So all religions must be good, and I understand why we say that. But, and we say, ah, oh, all religions must be leading to the same God because they're all like trying to seek to do good. And here's what I just want us to consider. That by us trying to fix this problem on our own, we're actually making it worse. The same way Cruz's immune system is trying to fix the problem, but it's only making it worse. And here's why I say that. The problem is actually made worse because we avoid God to try to get to God. We avoid God to try to fix the problem. You say, wait, are you saying that all religions are avoiding God? Actually, I am definitely saying that. Let me show you what I mean. So if you notice all religions, what what all religions are doing are saying this. We got to get to God. Well, we can't go to him now. We're not to him. We got, we can't, we got to get to him. So how do we get to him? Well, we got to get, make these list of rules. Or we got to do this. We got to work as hard as we can to be good, to be good. But you better not go to God before you're good because if you do, he's going to reject you. So do you notice what's happening? We're all alone trying to figure out how to get to God. We're avoiding going to him because we know we're not worthy of him yet. So we work so hard to become worthy so that we can finally go to him. All the while, we are as far away from him as we can be and we're killing ourselves because of it, where Christianity says this is all about grace, so go to him and trust in his grace, and then he will help you become who you're made to be. It's completely different. And I'm going to tell you that this way of thinking has found its way into Christian churches. I've got to avoid God so I can get to God. I've got to earn my way so I can get to God. Let me show you what I mean. There's a saying, there's this, and, and maybe some of you are guilty of saying this, okay? I'm not picking on you if you've said this before, but there's a saying that people say all the time. God helps those that help themselves. And that, that is not Christianity at all. God helps the helpless, not those who help themselves, That doesn't make any sense at all with the whole premise of what Christianity is saying. And this kind of thinking has spread like a virus into churches. And what's happening is this kind of thinking is robbing churches of their Savior. Completely misses the point. We are helpless and we need a Savior. So here's how I want you to think about it. We're all like, we're looking around at each other and we're like, oh, who's the most morally good person? You know, who's got it together more than the other people who got it together? And some of us are like, well, it's definitely not me. And some of us are like, well, I think it might be me. I don't know. Um, and then we look at people and we're like, oh, what a selfless person or what, what a generous person. We say, man, they must be like at the top of the list. And here's what's going on. I, you just got, you look at a hamster wheel. And the people who are like, man, they got it together, they're so generous, they're on the hamster wheel. And normal people are also on the hamster wheel. And the only difference between the two is one is just running a lot faster on the hamster wheel. But you know what? No one has gone anywhere. They're just on the hamster wheel, spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. 
Oh, you say, okay, well, okay. God must really love Mother Teresa. Because look at all the good she has done. Because of all the good she's done. I mean, God, how could God not love her? Look at all the stuff that she's done. And I say, no. God does not love Mother Teresa because of the good she has done. Mother Teresa knows that God loves her and that has compelled her to live the life that she lived. That is far different. That is two very different things. Christianity is saying that your good works will not get you to God or to the good life or to heaven or to nirvana or to paradise. Your good works, listen to this, your good works might actually be bringing you further from God. Why would I say that? Because Christianity is saying you either approach God with your record or Christ's record. You have to pick one. Christ's record or your record. Your record of goodness or his record of goodness. Now, if you feel really good about the life you've lived, it is so much harder for you to lay down your record to take his. But Christianity is saying, don't worry about how good your record is. You cast it into the sea and you take up his because his is so much further, so much greater than yours could ever be. I'm convinced that religious people and people who have grown up in the church are sometimes the hardest people to help become Christians because they have such a hard time of taking this record that they've worked so hard for and just casting it into the trash. They can't do it. Say, oh, but I've worked so hard all my life. And Christ says, lose it all and come to me. The person who knows they've got a bad record are like, ah. It's like, okay, Jesus, that sounds awesome. But the person who's like, oh man, I've been trying so hard. God must love me because of how hard I've been trying, right? Throw it out and go and rest in his work on your behalf. And if you're a Christian, you gotta watch yourself because it is very easy to jump back on that hamster wheel and say, God must love me because I'm, I mean, look at all those so-called Christians and look at me. God must really love me. Oh, I'm such a gift to God. Or, I mean, that's on the hamster wheel. Or, here's another way you'd be on the hamster wheel. You say, man, I'm such a failure. God must hate me. My sin and my sin and my sin and I can't stop doing it. Both are on the hamster wheel. And both think that God's approval is based on their works. And both are wrong because God's approval can never be based on our works because our works will never be good enough. So we rely on Christ's finished work on the cross. And then we say, ah, the hamster wheel is gone. This feels good. Our self-salvation efforts are an autoimmune disease because they keep us from our Savior. And when you finally go to him and abandon your self-salvation project, you hear words from the cross and they are words of rescue. They are words of salvation. And they are words of salvation in three parts. Past, present, and future. Three parts. Past, present, future. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. It's actually one word in Greek. It is tetelestai. 
And we could honestly spend like a whole series on, like we could spend 12 weeks on this one word. And this word, to telestai, means to finish, to complete, to end, to accomplish. This means that everything that needs to be done to kill the power of sin and death has been accomplished by Christ on the cross. When he cries out, it is finished. When he cries out to Telestai, he is saying sin and death are done. It's been accomplished. Everything that needs to be accomplished to kill sin and death has been accomplished right now. It's done. It's finished. When, when creation happens, that was just the beginning. It is finished when Jesus says this on the cross. So then you say, okay, David, fine, but why then am I still sinning? Why then are people still dying? Great question. The answer is because while salvation has been accomplished, while rescue has been accomplished, it is applied in three parts. The promise is poured out in three parts. How do I know that? Well, the Bible keeps saying it over and over again. But also, this word, tetelestai, it is, okay, listen to this. I'm going to sound super smart when I say this. It is a present, it's in the present tense with a passive voice. Okay, I'm going to say it again, and you guys are going to go like, whoa. It's in the present tense with a passive voice. <laughs> Good. Which means... It's a past act with a continuing force that's happening. It means that salvation has been accomplished, but it is still being applied. So there's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. In the past, here's what happened. Christ is done. He's finished the work. And here's what that means. You have a new record, and you, ha you are now a new creation, which means you are completely forgiven there's nothing that you can now do or not do that's gonna make God love you more or less. It is done, it is finished, and now you're the, you have this whole new identity where you're adopted by God. You are now a son or daughter of the living God, and he will not let you go. That's the past salvation that's already been applied to the Christian. Rest in that. The present salvation that's being applied or being promised it's pouring out on us is this. God is changing you right now, presently. Making you become more and more into who you're made to be. I heard, I, heard, I never heard this before, but this is guy, St. Augustine. He's dead now, a long time ago. Um, I think it's him who said this. He said, I'm closer to Christ than I am to myself. And I thought about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I started thinking, I don't know, what he, I don't know fully what he means by it, but, but when I think of that, here's what I think. There's a version of you that you are made to become, and it is far off, and you are moving in that direction. And it's way over there. But where is Christ? He's right here. He's with you. So you are actually closer to your Savior than you are to the self that you will one day become. And what's happening in this present salvation that's being poured out upon you is you are following him and he is taking you where? To the person that you are made to one day become. And as you follow him, you follow him and he's taking you to the future you. And, and this, don't be scared by this. He's also disciplining you. 
but he's doing it. Not, he's not punishing you. He's disciplining you the way a loving father would do it. He, with all of his heart, he loves you, and he wants you to become who you're made to be, so he's gently moving you along and helping you become who you're made to be. This is, the same, this is where we get the word disciple. Like, disciple means to follow Jesus, so we're being disciplined, and we're following Jesus, and, and he's ch- changing us into who we're made to be, and God the Father is loving us so much. He's like, I'm going to discipline you in such a way that you know you are loved. Don't be scared by that. It is, it is a love that is relentlessly pursuing you. And then this too, this present salvation that's being poured out upon us right now, these present promises, there's another one. And it's this. All the stuff in this world where we say, ah, oh, sin sucks. By the way, I've been not telling you the points. We're on point three, Jesus does. Um, all the things in this world that sucks, all the things where you're like suffering and you're in pain, there's a promise that is so good, where he says, I'm going to take even your suffering and I'm going to use it to bring about good. I promise you that. Somehow, I'm going to take your pain and I'm going to make it good. And this is what we've been clinging to as, as we've been walking through all of this stuff with Cruz. I mean, this has been the thing we're clinging to, but not in a way that's saying like, okay, I'm going to cling to this so I know, like, so I have some hope or just, you know, this is what we're just going to hold on to. Like, I'm in prayer with God. Like, my prayer life is completely changed, and I'm in prayer with God, and I'm just sitting with God, and I have this deep sense where God is letting me know, I'm going to bring good out of this. I promise you I am. I'm going to bring good out of this for Cruz. I'm going to bring good out of this for you. I'm going to bring good out of this for Elise. And together as a family, you are going to fight sin in a way, in the effects of sin like you haven't done before. Okay, great, but not on our own. Because that's the wrong way to do it. To fight sin on our own, that's the autoimmune, the spiritual autoimmune disease. But we're going to follow him. And as Christ is fighting the effects of sin in the world, we're going to follow after him and do it with him. And whatever he tells us to do, that's what we're going to do. Because he's doing it. And we follow after him. We're not out on our own doing this. And he's, gonna, he's, he's saying, I promise, I'm going to bring good through it all. And then the future promise of salvation being applied that one day all things will be made right there will no longer be suffering, pain tears or death it'll all be a distant memory we'll be with God forever as we are meant to be you see what Jesus has just done he's taken the hamster wheel and he's thrown it in the trash and he said everything that you are supposed to do I did it. The life you were supposed to live, I lived it for you. The death you were supposed to die, I died. I, I died it for you? I, you know what I'm saying. So you can be free of the power that sin and death had over you. And he's taken this idea that like we have to somehow figure out a way to get to God without God. And he's trashed it. He's trashed this idea that says God helps those who helps themselves. I mean, like, this could sound so offensive. I understand that. Like, this is the foundation upon which most of the world is operating. And I understand that this could sound offensive. But I want you to consider this. 
God comes into the world, loves you so much, comes into the world, lives the life you should have lived and then gives it to you, dies the death you should have died. He takes it from you. Accomplishes everything that we were supposed to accomplish. And then we avoid going to him and mask it with, I'm trying to get to you, God, but I'm avoiding you at the same time. We're ignoring the grace that's been offered us. We avoid thanking him. We say, oh, I've got to earn this. We avoid bowing to him. We avoid giving our life to him because we think that the answer is the hamster wheel. I can't think of anything more offensive to do to God than to reject the love that he has offered us. To just say, oh, I'm just going to stay on the hamster wheel. I want you to know, God hates everything that is keeping you from him because he wants you. In Christianity, the answer is not do, it is done, because Christ said done on the cross. In Christianity, the answer isn't earn, because Christ paid for it on the cross. At some point, we gotta give up this self-salvation project, because it's driving us away from God. It's driving us away from our Savior. And we've got to just say, I've got to give this up. And then we just go and we embrace the love and acceptance and peace that comes with having a Savior who would do this for us. And it's then that you find this love and acceptance and you find yourself becoming more and more of who you're made to one day become and you find yourself clinging to a hope that will not be shaken in the midst of a world that is shaking. And watch this. Something very interesting happens. In the Greek culture, when a God, and Jesus is in the Greek culture here. I mean, this is right in the middle of Greek culture. In Greek culture, when a God would bow their head, it meant they were making a promise. But look what it says. It says, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it could be that Jesus is saying, everything has been accomplished. I promise. I promise and I will not tell a lie. And when you doubt it, I promise that this is true. It's in a way he understands that we are going to struggle with doubt and we are going to struggle with trying to figure all of this out in the midst of everything we're going through. But then he's saying, but I promise, he bows his head and he's saying, I promise that I've accomplished it all. I've rescued you. And he's saying, I promise everything's going to be okay. And now the only thing left for us to do is to live like we believe that this is true. Stop being ruled by guilt because we have rest in him. We've been forgiven. To start looking at the father like a loving father and knowing that he is disciplining us in a way that is so sweet and tender is making us become who we're made to become. And knowing that anything that we walk through that is not good, he will somehow rearrange it and build it into something beautiful. That's what he does. It's all in the Old Testament. He brings beauty out of the ashes. 
And then one day, there's going to come a day where death, pain, tears have no power over you anymore. Sin is all a thing of the past. It's a speck in history. It's like a pebble that's in your pocket. And every once in a while, you reach in your pocket and you say, ah, this is that pebble. You remember remember the time when we walked on the earth before heaven and earth were woven together? Man, life sucked. Do you remember that? Like That feels like so long ago. And then you just say, oh man, we have such a great Savior and we, we're with him always. And he's not letting us go. This is so awesome that we are here and all of the things of the past are just this distant memory, like that pebble. That every once in a while you're reminded of. Cling to that and don't let it go. Let's pray. God, we, we believe this. But God, we might be overconfident in our belief. Because it seems that we are shaking more often than we ought to be. But yet in our shaking, God, you are there with us. And as we shake and as we tremble in this world, You don't say, stop shaking. You wrap us up in your arms. And you hold us until the shaking has ceased so that we can then stand on a hope that is unshaking. God, we want to believe in this, so help us believe. Help us know that all has already been accomplished. And now we just wait, knowing you got it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.